You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcast of man. This is the Giganticast. <laughs> You know, Morgan, marriage is a funny thing. Is it? Yes. That's all I got. Uh, welcome to Gigantcast, everybody. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that That's your cold opener? That, that was my cold opener. That was my last podcast on the left. Henry Zabrowski-style cold opener. Cool. I might need to take improv classes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, welcome everybody. I know it's been a hot minute since we've had an episode. I honestly can't remember what the last one was, but here we are. Um, yeah, so it's me, Matt. And me, Morgan. Yes. And nobody else. This is the first time I believe you and I have just been on an episode just together. Just us. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, you've been a co-host on a lot of stuff. I have. You've... Yeah, and for the mo- you were in the background of the Shin Godzilla discussion that uh, me and uh, Toshi had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You fell asleep uh, two different times. I did. Well, in fairness, we were recording them in the middle of the night. As has become a want with this friggin' website. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, today, you know, we're here because... Guess what just came out on Blu-ray? Was it... Was it Godzilla? No. It's a new Pride and Prejudice release. Don't tease me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'd love another Blu-ray release of Pride and Prejudice. Wait, which one? BBC? They're all kind of BBC. The, one, the Colin Firth one. Okay, see, I was going to make a joke about the Keira Knightley one. It's Keira Knightley, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the... Kind of crappy movie version. I, I thought it was okay. No, no, it was fine. It was it was fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> She's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I it helps because I always kind of had a crush on Keira Knightley. So, Aww. oh, she's got abs. Ooh, for days. I want abs. <laughs> Got to well, work on that. You're. Captain Kung Fu over here. I am. You're Hong Kong Fooey up in this. Oh, oh, never, I'm never gonna, do that no, again. No, I'm gonna. No. He was the voice of Jazz in Transformers. Okay. And he was also in The Shining. Voice actor. Okay. Black guy. Okay. Okay, anyway. Uh, so, before we... Uh, so, yes, obviously, we're talking about Godzilla King of the Monsters. <clears throat> we wanted to do a follow-up podcast after our... Our first review we did for one of us, where I was a confused, emotional mess, and (laughs) you were a boiling pot of rage. Oh my god, yeah. And so we kept getting questions at different conventions. People were asking us, well, what did you actually think of it? Because we actually weren't, a lot of people apparently weren't clear on why you didn't like it and why I was sort of of two minds about it. Did I stutter? (laughs) Yes. 
Oh. Uh, no, but, um, you know, and, and, and in fairness, a little insider baseball for you guys, uh, we, we recorded a whole other version of this already. Yeah. At 2 Mm AM and we listened to it and it's unusable because it's too mean. We, and it's also, you know, aggressively unfocused and hi Corby. And we're, Hey, people like it when you address the pets. Do they? Yeah. Look at her. Just look at her. Aw, you guys can't see her. No, you're missing out. She is so cute right now. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. She's staring at me. Did you give her food? Yes. Okay, thank you. You wouldn't really consider yourself a Godzilla fan. No. In, I mean... <laughs> Sorry, was that hurtful? Man, I, man you, you kind of left me with nowhere to go after that. Well, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't. Um, that, maybe that was a little blunt. No. <laughs> you don't dislike the films I've shown you, though. At least not all of them. No, of course not. Yeah, that still sounded sarcastic. Did it? <laughs> not my intention. There Look are, at the, There's a cat. There's Yay. a cat. Yay. Um. Did, but there are aspects of genre you really do like, such as. Can you give me an example to start off with? I'm pointing at it with my finger. Well, the audience can't see that. <laughs> Clearly, neither can I. Well, that... I wouldn't consider that part of the genre, though. Ultraman is not part of the kaiju genre? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I was I was more thinking of, like, specifically related to Toho, but um, I do. Ultraman is very earnest and sincere in a way that a lot of things refuse to be, mm-hmm. uh, and I just admire that a lot. Right. And, you know, and it's not that, like I said, there aren't Godzilla movies you don't like. Like, um, you, 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 you've, you've said that you like Shin Godzilla. I do. I understand Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Shin Godzilla progresses in a way that makes sense to me. Okay, good. And, of course, the Grammar trilogy comes very highly recommended and rated. Grammar? Grammar. 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 Stop. <laughs> I want to make like a grammar monster now. Cool, we should. Uh, so, I feel like that's a pretty good segue, though, to talking about this movie. Because I yes. think your lack of fandom, the fact that you didn't grow up with this genre, sort of made you the ideal point-counterpoint to... <laughs> This discussion, because when we went to uh, Dragon Con uh, this past weekend, um, or the weekend before last weekend, um, you and I pretty much wound up talking about it all goddamn weekend, because we were there with all of our friends, and there were all these people coming up to the table, yeah. and, you know, people wanted to talk about it. So of course. So, we wanted to go ahead and get this done, because we were, we were just, we were on our brains, we were thinking about it. Plus, I made you rewatch it, even though you said, specifically, you never wanted to watch it again. Yeah, I may never forgive you for that. Uh-huh, yeah, get in line. Um, but, uh... Oh, no, I am the line. People need to get in line behind me. I front this line. I am the line. I am the line. Okay. <laughs> well, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the general plot outline of the films. as we've. Well, you've seen it twice. I've seen it, I think I must be around nine or ten times at this point. Oh, my God. Are you okay? <laughs> no, not since the accident. Uh, the... <laughs> 
when you're Matt Frank, you wind up seeing the movie oh, a oh, goddamn oh, lot. Never ever refer, refer to yourself in the third person ever again. Honey, that is the most obnoxious. I'm thing. Matt Goddamn Frank. Oh <laughs> my god! That's what. There's a more. There's a more. Uh, a profane version of that that I will spare the listeners. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the actual movie itself. So yes. King of the Monsters came out earlier this year, uh, May, I want to say. Yeah, it was May. I've repressed and it. I have no idea. <laughs> we saw the advanced screening of it. We went and recorded it over at the one of us.net yes. studio. Oh, I never had to pay for that. Good. I gave this movie zero money. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so in the in the impetus of the film, so the start of the film, yeah, is pretty much like they're like, oh, you didn't get enough Godzilla in the last movie. First scene, here mm-hmm. he is. Yeah, it starts off in the ruins of San Francisco. Yeah, during the events of the 2014 film. Yeah, which I mean, to introduce us to these characters, I don't think that was a bad choice. I feel like the first. 10 to 15 minutes of the movie are actually really strong and pretty well made. Maybe maybe not past that 15 minute mark, but... I feel like... I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. So... We'll find out. It's a pretty... It's a pretty... It's, <laughs> it's like pretty, we don't know. Yeah, I, well... It's a journey of discovery, Morgan. Is it? Yes. But like in a courtroom. Oh, um, God. <laughs> so... Presenting state's evidence. <laughs> so... Uh, it's a pretty good sequence. Uh, I actually really like the opening uh, logo sequences where they're showing this, the um, reliefs on the ancient stone walls of these different titans, as they're referred to. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, as far as creating an in-universe term for your monster is concerned, titan is not a bad idea. Um, it's yeah, been, it has a lot of it has a lot of subtext, a lot of implication to it. Yeah, this whole mythological like uh, they were the first gods kind of thing. Yeah, just kind of fun. And uh, there was apparently a Japanese fan artist who asked, like, okay, well, if there were titans, who were the Olympians who struck down the titans? Ooh. And of course, the artwork shows a shimmering silver giant. <laughs> What? Uh-huh. I missed that. Well, it's just fan art, but, but oh. it's pretty. I know, I know. Been, they don't have Boo. the rights. To, they don't have the rights to Ultraman. Fans are so much better. <laughs> anyway, um, so the film really gets started though with a pretty, again, a really, I think, a really creative sequence. It's a very domestic sequence with um, Madison, played by Millie Bobby Brown, and uh, Doctor Russell or Emma, played by Vera Farmiga. I believe is how you pronounce her name. I think so. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this little domestic scene was nice, and it sets up a lot of stuff, and it's a, almost a misdirection, because you're not really sure where it's taking place. You sort of think, like, oh, is this Pacific Northwest somewhere, or... No, yeah, I like that. But I'll be honest with you, and we'll get into this later, but, like, rewatching that scene after seeing the whole movie and seeing knowing... And seeing the twist. Rewatching that scene... Is all kinds of ooky. Like it's kind of upsetting. It now. is. It gives me bad vibes. Yeah, and I think I think that was the intent because again, I don't think Mike Doherty is a bad director. I, he's no, he's no. had. I, I really would want to watch Krampus at some point with you because it's a. I know you're not. Do a, I have to. It's not a. Tra- it's, well, it's it's almost aggressively traditional as far as a horror movie goes. It's not like excessively gory or violent. Can't, it's can't just, this be my one? Like, I'm how about done. trick or treat for Halloween time? I don't, I don't like horror movies. Okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine. 
That's fine. I will grant you that. So they have this really nice little domestic scene, and then, oh, crap, twist. Turns out they're at this facility, which makes sense. They're on site at this monarch, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, um, like a research like a, base? Yeah, a research base, an outpost. Yeah, outpost. An outpost where uh, they're studying. At, they're at the Temple of the Moth. They're studying Mothra. Uh-huh. And... Of course, you know, we get we get the exposition channel at one point basically saying that Monarch is under heavy pressure by the government to reveal where these Titans are and yada 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 because they've been they've been studying the Titans for 50, 60, 70 years at this point. Yeah. And yeah, and so here we are, here they are in the field. And actually again, I like that touch of these people got to live somewhere. And apparently Monarch has just infinite budget. Right. So yeah, how, who's funding these people? Like, it's, is it the elusive man? Like, that would be fun, right? Who's? <gasps> no, never mind. That's no. making a different film at a certain point. Yeah, it's no. like who's funding Monarch? Uh, I mean, they're the government organization, so we're their government coalition. No, yeah, they're an international coalition. They said that in the first movie. Oh, did they? Mm-hmm. But they're but then they're they're under like an inquisition from I guess well, the the not USA or no, it is the US. It's the US con like the Senate or Congress was grilling them. Right, well, because different want... organizations are held accountable by different organizations. That's how the country is supposed to work. Theoretically. Theoretically. Um, that's that's totally normal. That happens. Okay. Yep. Anyway, uh, so it turns out that Mothra is waking up. And it's this pretty cool sequence of the baby Mothra waking up. But then we find out that um, Dr. Russell has created this device that can communicate with the monsters. By finding the quote-unquote alpha frequency, which uh, uh. it's fine as a as a as a sciencey gobbledygook explanation for how the humans. I get it. You want the humans to impact what the monsters are doing. Yes, and it's a it's a fairly clever setup, even though we already did that in um, Godzilla Legends. And uh, technically, it's also um, based off of. The events of Godzilla, of the return of Godzilla from 1984, uh, where they used a supersonic frequency to draw Godzilla away from Tokyo. Mm. They never did it again. Mm. Huh. Mm. Huh. So, yeah. Um, and then uh, Mothra wakes up. There's this pretty cool sequence. And she looks pretty good. I actually really like the... the I, again, I like the looks of all the monsters. And we'll get into it more as we go, but uh, Mothra has all this bioluminescence in her body and stuff that yeah. changes color depending on her emotional state. And then the plot happens. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Because then these terrorists show up, led by Charles Dance, in, unfortunately, what is a complete waste of a Charles Dance. Ugh. It's really unfortunate. Um, and... You're led to believe that Dr. Russell and Maddie are kidnapped. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, cut to uh, Monarch is currently being grilled by the government. Yeah. And they say something that I think is really interesting. And then, and again, this little sequence I still think kind of works. Because you're still world building on top of this whole Monarch organization and how they interact with the rest of the world. How they're kind of autonomous in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like... It's one of the only times in the movie we get to see Sarazawa speaking mm-hmm. without Kyle Chandler having to be in the room. It, it's, yeah, 
And we'll get to that, that whole thing. But yeah, and it also shows what I think is one of the more interesting aspects of the film, which is the interaction between these different monarch scientists. Yeah. These people who work for a monarch. You've got Dr. Serizawa, who's almost this, he's almost a titan, uh, a titan religious fanatic. Like, not even not necessarily a fanatic, but he's like, he subscribes to titanism. Like, yeah. he's... He really completely believes in Godzilla and that these creatures are, are, are they maintain this natural order. There's an order to be maintained. Yeah. And then, but then they also, they also say, there's this thing that keeps coming up that I get a little frustrated with, not frustrated with, but it's very telling about what kind of movie this is, specifically being an American made movie. When different characters keep saying, like, well, you have to kill the Titans. We have to destroy the Titans. We have to kill them, the yada, yada, yada. In a Japanese Godzilla movie, that isn't really a question that gets posed because the kaiju are so powerful. Hmm. The idea of just being able to kill them without some crazy friggin' super weapon is just not on the table. Yeah. And it's just the way they talk about them as these things that need to be protected is... It's weird to me in this genre. And it's again, it's indicative of the very Americanness of this movie, hmm. uh, which is another really interesting subject with regards to some of the themes about nuclear power, which we're also going to get into. We're still pretty early days here. But I really like the, the little dynamic between uh, the, the. You only get a little bit of it, but it's essentially this descending order of. Uh, clarification, uh, not clarification, but translation, translation, translation. Yeah. Like, Serizawa makes some crazy statement that's... Because he, he's looking at this big picture stuff. Yeah. Then, uh, Dr. Graham, Sally Hawkins, our bae, our girl... My boo. She uh, then essentially translates for him by, by using a softer, less uh, inflammatory, less inflammatory dialogue, less inflammatory language... And then the next guy down, who's like their tech or something, he's... Yeah, he's like head of IT? Yeah, which... I think? It's, it's, you know, I guess that's his... What was his name? I don't remember, to be honest, but I actually liked him. He was a perfectly... I thought he was perfectly functional. As this... <laughs> High praise. Well, no. Perfectly I thought... functional. I liked him. I just, I guess, I, I can't, I can't find his um, character name or the actor's name, unfortunately, right now. It's not in the notes here. But, uh, and he's the guy who's like, ha ha ha. No, what they're actually saying is he's the the wink and handshake guy. He's the guy who's the the friendly face you do actually does all the schmoozing for Monarch. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you have all these really interesting implications for this organization that we don't really get to get into. Yeah, because. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Here comes Kyle Chandler, who's a PhD in wolf listening. <laughs> and we're, we're, you all right there? That's really funny. I think, I think our friend Jen came up with that when I was watching it with Paul and Jen. Uh, she was nice. like, what, has he got a PhD in wolf listening? What's he going to do? Wolf listening. It's pretty good. But yeah, he's an animal behavioralist, I believe. I don't and, even um, know. I thought he was like an audio technician. He's like a, it's like he studies animal bioacoustics in order to learn their behavior or something. I guess. Again, it's... It's like Matthew Broderick in Godzilla 98, where you the have this... Guy. The worm guy. You have this person who's vaguely connected to what's happening, 
but he also needs to be an outsider. Yeah. So he can't, like, be working for Monarch. You have to bring him in. But he also has this established connection with what's happening. So structurally, that all works. I mean, make. It, I wouldn't say it works. I would say that the intent behind it makes sense. Structurally. I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, what doesn't work is that we essentially have the same scene twice. Yeah. You pointed that out to me. Well, yeah, because, I mean, like, they do the thing where they land in the helicopter, and then they have their dramatic stand. Yes. And then they, it's like, fun. go to his cabin, and they have all this exposition for we, the audience's benefit. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene is them on the plane, on the helicopter, flying, and we get most of that information a second time? And from a different direction. Like, like Sally Hawkins says, after San Francisco, she went back to Boston. Yeah, he's like, she's like... Oh, just to clarify, uh, uh, Kyle Chandler's character was Vera Farmiga's husband, ex-husband... And Ma- and Millie Bobby Brown's father, like yes. they they're separated, and that's why that's why he's that's his additional connection. But go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. So so like Sally Hawkins is telling him, you know, after San Francisco, after your son was killed, your wife went back to Boston, and then in the next scene, he's talking to her, and she's like, "What happened between the two of you?" And he's <laughs> like, "Well, after San Francisco, we went back to Boston." I'm like, "Wait." She just told you that as though you didn't know where she went. And now you're saying you both were in Boston? And, and Yeah. What? What? And then they were talking about the orca again, which is the sound thingy. Yeah, the sound and MacGuffin. The sound MacGuffin. And they're talking about all the Titans and stuff. And I'm like, we got a lot of this information beforehand. It really makes me wonder if the whole sequence in Colorado was a reshoot. Or not a reshoot, but a scene added later. Mm. Because they... I don't know. I really like the scene. In, in, I I like a lot of the sequences in this visually because, the, again, he's Doherty's a great, a, a really good director, and he's got an eye for visuals, and I love the color temperatures and everything. Like, you feel like, okay, I'm in the Rocky Mountains now. Okay, now we're going to the base, and we're going underwater, and everything is blue now. And it's just, I, I really like, again, I like the look of this movie because it's got really good color theory. It's not Del Toro-level color theory, but it's Nothing solid. Nothing is. Nothing is, but it's solid enough. Yeah. So they get to... Uh, they get to Castle Bravo. This is like, like, this is one of those things that I kind of, I kind of can't fault the movie for. Like, clearly, so clearly, this was made from a place of genuine love for the preceding material, the source material, like right. the Japanese Godzilla movies, because there's all of these little Easter eggs, and like... And they're fun! Yeah, and the they're, they're dropped all over the movie, but some of them, if you squint, it's a little bit like, but should you have done that? I mean, what Morgan's referring to is the 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 base, the Monarch base, which is kind of fun. It's like this oil platform that then the hell, the well, the Osprey goes down inside of, and it's this giant shield style base, which is kind of fun. There's even the the, the cryogenically frozen head of one of the Mudos. Oh yeah, uh, I forgot about that. Which is really again, it's a it's a cool. Fun detail. Yeah, it's just kind of hanging out there. Like, well, they're studying it. I guess. There's little guys. I've seen the movie enough times to know there's little guys kind of crawling all over it. And yeah, but it's like it. in their plane hangar. It's like, it's, 
mounted on a wall. It's a little well, weird. It's, I, it's a, you have to wonder, like, where else are they going to put it? <laughs> I guess. They, they can't have, have infinite money. They could put it wherever the fuck <laughs> they want. I mean, it's it's all very cool and fun and science fiction-y and very G-Force-esque, but Castle Bravo is the name of the... Uh, of the nuclear, of the hydrogen bomb experiment, uh, uh, tested in 1950, done in 1954, which is essentially the impetus, the, the spark that made Godzilla, the original Godzilla, about nuclear proliferation. Because, uh, I, I won't go into the whole detail here, but basically, uh, a Japanese fishing boat, uh, got irradiated by fallout. The the Lucky Dragon number five was the name of it, and that so you should look it up. It's really fascinating. Uh, it's also very tragic and very scary stuff. Well, yeah, I and, mean that whole fishing boat got irradiated by the secret test. It's go read the accounts of it. It's really haunting because the captain describes this weird ash falling on them that was sticky, <laughs> and it turned out it was uh, it was vaporized coral. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, and uh, the and it was this again. It was this is sticky, and they were like, "That's weird." And then he decided after the crew started vomiting that we should go back to port. And then I know one of the crew members died before the by the time they even got back to port, and uh, a bunch of poison fish got in the market. It's not something you want to name your fun science fictiony military base after. Like you could have probably called it just about anything else. Yeah, I mean. But you know what? This is also an indication of the simple fact that I, you actually brought up this. It's this checklist mentality. Oh yeah. Of like we want to have these references. Yeah. So let's find a place to stick them. Right. Which is just like, look, I get it. Crassel Bravo is a cool name. It's a shame it's just associated with this friggin' horrible thing that happened. Yeah. And that is also indication of something that I think is I think probably needs a podcast in and of itself. But it's the it's the kind of flippancy with which the nuclear horror themes are treated in this movie. Now, the Godzilla franchise is no stranger to playing pretty fast and loose with its own nuclear horror themes. Sometimes it's just not addressed at all, which is fine. I mean, you don't have to put that as part of your kaiju movie. But if you're going to do it, I feel like there's a responsibility to a certain point to do it well and not whatever this is. But anyway, now we're into, we're getting into the part where, oh man, this movie really wants Kyle Chandler to be the center of every scene. Of every scene. Like, and I'm a, I'm an actual, like, fan of Kyle Chandler, the human and the actor. I, mm-hmm. I like him in everything I've ever seen him in. Uh, he's I, really fun in the 2005 King Kong. Yeah. He's, yeah. No, he's fun in that. I loved early edition when I was younger. I loved it. And I'm saying there's way too much Kyle Chandler in this movie. Like, they have this amazing, diverse cast of all these various characters, but none of them get to do anything because whoever, the director, the studio, I don't know, decided that everything of importance needs to be funneled to the audience through Kyle Chandler. Otherwise, I guess we'll, we won't understand what's happening or we'll lose right. interest. I don't know. It's really frustrating, like you said, because Monarch has this really diverse group, and they're fun characters, I think. Um, who is the actor who 
plays uh <laughs> he's he's uh Jake Peralta's dad in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, shit, uh, yeah. I don't remember the actor's name, but I know who you're talking about. The white-haired guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is it Bradley Whitford? Yeah. Yeah. I actually was really kind of annoyed by him, because he actually does have some kind of obnoxious lines in this movie, but... Yeah, some... Some, some yeah. real stinkers. But he's also kind of fun in that audience surrogate sort of way. Like, his delivery is very uh, relatable. Yeah. Like, even in the moment where... This very emotionally confused moment. Oh my where god. I Kyle know Chandler, what you're talking about. Yeah, Kyle Chandler has this, like... So Godzilla shows up. And, again, I, they're getting ready to fight him with, like, the Mazer cannons, which is it's a fun little Easter egg, but... Yeah, that was nice. You know, yeah. nobody had... Nobody twisted anybody's arm, said this has to be called a Mazer. Just, like, a nice little little Easter egg. Sure. I mean, they weren't... They didn't look like Mazers, but that's fine. Um, but, so, <laughs> but the word was there. The box was checked. It's fine. It's fine. But they were getting ready to fight Godzilla, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, don't do that. <laughs> He's Godzilla. It's just that it's that mentality of, like, that we can fight these things. No, you can't. That's, I mean, look, I get it. The I, I love how offended you are by that. <laughs> well, the, the tradition, there's a tradition in Godzilla movies where... The monsters, you, the military has to fight the monsters. I mean, that's just, that's part of it. And if the military is completely useless, then it just becomes a formality. This is one of the things I liked about Destroy All Monsters, was that uh, the military in that movie is all automated. It's all it's all drone warfare. It's all remotely controlled. Mm. Uh, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're getting ready to fight Godzilla, which is also uh, one of the first scenes, one of the first scenes with O'Shea Jackson Jr., or Ice Cube Jr., as you like to call him. Um, as who likes to call him? People. <laughs> Around. <laughs> Mostly Chris Marjong here. <laughs> but, um, which, shout out to O'Shea, you're, I think you're fun in this. I think you've got good screen presence, and it's a shame that they seem to have cut a lot of his scenes. There's apparently a scene where he was saying goodbye to his family before what? the final battle. I, I, I really, you know, this movie really makes me want to watch uh, Straight Outta Compton. I still haven't seen it. Oh. It's supposed to be a really good movie. Okay. Yeah. I was never a rap kid, so that stuff didn't... I wasn't like immediately like, oh man, I gotta watch this. But, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Um, and, uh, yeah, but... <sighs> They're, you know, and then, of course, Kyle Chandler's the one who's telling everyone, you've got to stand down. You're, he's telling Sarazawa this. You know, the guy who's been studying Godzilla his entire life. Yeah. And I'm just like, and I get it. They want to make him seem like he's relevant to what's happening. But again, it comes across as very confused and very, you know, like taking the scene from somebody like Sarazawa, who it should belong to, where he's having this one-on-one stare-down with Godzilla. Yeah, like, that would have been a really impactful moment, like, not only for us, the audience, but for that character. It would have made sense. this For Kyle Chandler to have this moment after he just expressed, like, I distrust and hate Godzilla and we should kill him. And then, like, he has some sort of insight because of wolves <laughs> into how we should deal with this moment with Godzilla. Like, it just betrayed all of the motivation he had set himself up to have. It was, it was such a strange choice. It's, it's again, it's very emotionally confused, and it feels like something that there just must have been an earlier draft that was different. I, I just don't know. I just don't know. But anyway, um, oh, and then um, Bradley Whitford does have that great line where he's like, 
what are you doing, dude? <laughs> just, yeah. I, that always makes me laugh in the ten times I've seen the movie. Um, and we also got introduced to uh, Dr. Chen, played by Zhang Ziyi, who I believe was uh, the lead in, or one of the leads in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That was her big breakout. She I was think the, so. um She was the younger princess? God, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. Mm. You, what, you saw that movie, right? You've never seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? It's on my list. Well, I know we're working through all these kung fu movies. Even though it's not really a kung fu movie, it's more of a wuxia movie, yeah. which I believe is the term because it's all about sword fighting. But still, a lot of there's still a lot of chop saki, punch kicky. So chop chop saki. You ever heard that term, chop saki? It's a not terribly culturally sensitive term. It that, doesn't uh, sound like a terribly culturally sensitive. It was term. a it was a it was a vernacular used back in the seventies when the Bruce Lee movies were and the other uh, Shaw Brothers movies were really were coming out in the states and they were colloquially called chopsaki flicks. I don't know where the term comes from. It's probably racist. Um, it sounds racist. We should probably not use it. In for man though, best kung fu movie ever made, right? Hell yeah, yeah, boy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> a weird non sequitur. Um, so uh, at this point, uh, we go. We're getting back to the terrorist subplot. Oh right, the which plot. oh right the plot, which is our our that's our catchphrase when we watch we're watching a movie and we're like oh right the plot, um, and you know they get to this this facility down in Antarctica where they are just murdering people willy nilly. Yeah, and it's it's like I get. They're, they're, event- okay, oh yeah, I get to that. But you actually get some kind of nice stuff from Charles Dance, including a great exchange where it's, uh, they come into this big room and, uh, a one character says, Mother of God, and Charles Dance says, She had nothing to do with this. And I'm yeah. like, That's a pretty good line. Yeah. Uh, and it's, of course, Godzilla fans know it's King Ghidorah, which. They, in a really cute, another cute little reference, they call him Monster Zero, which is the, what the Planet X aliens call Kidora. Yeah. So, now you know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, the, and of course there's this whole thing where they're, you know, blah, 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 it doesn't matter. Uh, cut to, they, the monarch people have decided, found out that Godzilla's heading for Antarctica, and there actually is a nice scene where, uh, Kyle Tanner is like, well, let's go after him. And everyone's like, oh, he's heading for Antarctica. And everyone gets real quiet. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, what's in Antarctica? <laughs> so that's, again, it's nice buildup. Yeah. Again, there's little bits that work. Oh, yeah. It feels like right at this point in the movie, the real problems are just child Ch- Kyle Chandler. I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. Kyle Chandler just kind of being this drag on everything else that's happening and stopping the film so he can mansplain the film to us. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. (laughs) So, basically, there's this big confrontation in Antarctica where the the twist is revealed. Yeah. That, um... Uh, Emma has has been working with the terrorists this whole time, with Charles Dance this whole time. Yeah, and Maddie knew... Yeah, apparently. Yeah, so uh, this child is an accessory to murder. Not just murder, genocide pretty soon. It's it's real rough. And again, there's a way they probably could have made that work. Not with what they did, though. Um, so the, the, they, they set off these bombs. They set up the bomb. They set up the bomb, Morgan. I'm sorry, that's a reference that you won't get. Uh, it's... Um, 
Ghidorah appears, and Ghidorah in this, I think, is really fun. They, I know you had some issues with how the monsters were presented. I mean, it's it's nothing to do, like, actually with how they were presented, and it's it's, it's all to do with me. Like, <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm serious. It's a me problem. It's not a them problem. Sure. I just, I wasn't a monster kid growing up the way you were. I'm... I, I have some issues reconciling the idea of them being, well, I mean, for lack of a better term, for being characters. Right. So it's like, like on the one hand, like back a few scenes ago with with the big shield in the in right. the in the under in the underwater Godzilla base, underground, underwater, and all yeah. That. And they're like, they're like, what's that light? What's with these sounds? And they're like, oh, it's a threat display. It's like a it's like a primordial territorial threat display. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's. That's animal-like behavior. They're animals. But we keep seeing them have, like, facial expressions and, you know, like, other signs of, of sentient thought. And I'm like, okay, they're not animals. They're, and they're like, they're, they were the gods of the old. So, okay, so they're, they're gods. And so, for me personally, those two things don't mesh well. Right. And so I don't like seeing, like, supposedly sentient godlike characters, thinking, feeling characters, but they're showing, like, these these bestial threat displays. And, I mean, visually it looks cool, but I just don't think that that's in line. I, I just you don't, don't think, think it, it is a mesh. No, I don't think it meshes, but, but I didn't grow up with characters that do that a lot, like the way that they've always done, I'm assuming, in most of the Godzilla films up until now. So that was... That didn't bother you at all. No. I was the only one that had that problem. Well, again, your your favorite Godzilla movies, uh, well, with the exception of GMK, which is, uh, you know, they have a little bit of personality, but for the most part, they're pretty animalistic. Mm. Uh, Godzilla is the sadistic bastard in that movie, but that yeah. all goes on with it. That goes along with the motivation of the character. With no, exactly. What he is. It's in service to the theme of the story. Right. And, uh, but you're, you're, you like... Stuff like Godzilla 98 and Shin Godzilla, where the creature is a creature, and it's reacting in these very inhuman ways that makes it an enemy. Well, its behavior always makes sense to me. Right. So, like, alright, hold on to your butts. We're going to talk about <laughs> Godzilla 98 for just a while. Okay, look at barricade the door. Just give me a minute. <laughs> so, I, I will fully admit, mm. that is not a Godzilla movie. Okay. Don't at me. <laughs> It's a good-ish creature movie. It's not a Godzilla movie. I really hate the term Gino. I will never use it. But fine. So, but Godzilla or Zilla in that movie behaves in a consistent manner throughout the entire movie. It's set up from the beginning to be an animal. Right. When it first comes to New York, it doesn't even notice or pay attention to the people because they're so small. It's just like, hey, what's this island? I'm going to have eggs on it. And then... <laughs> Later, it only notices the people once they've, like, lured it out and started shooting it. And then it's like, oh, shit, it's like, it's like fire ants, you know? It's like, well, now I'm, now I see. Fire ants! No, <laughs> I think it was an old it's giant. Like, oh, they're so small, but they joke. burn, you know? <laughs> so, like, then it's like, well, now I see you, now I'm aware of you. And then right. it wasn't until later, way later in the film, after all the babies were dead... And it came back out of the ground. He's like, hey, my babies are dead. Hey, you're nearby. This is clearly your fault. Mm. Then that's the only point where it actually started attacking and sing single-mindedly pursuing one set 
of people. I mean, it did defend itself at a certain point against the helicopters and No, the, yeah, but uh, they were attacking it. Right, and the, the submarines. It yeah. never pursued anything that was running away. And and then you compare that to... Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And then you compare... Which, personally, I... Okay, we're not going to talk too much about Godzilla 98, but personally, I feel like that kind of flies in the face of a monster movie because, while you do have this thing that's running loose in a city, it's never really, it feels like a threat, you know? But that's, that's why I like that movie. It's not, it's not a Godzilla movie. It's not a proper monster movie. It's what would happen realistically Mm -hmm. if an animal just got real big. And you know the what? behavior is consistent. And I can see that. And that's why I think Shin Godzilla owes surprising amount to, uh, to Godzilla 98 in being this complete reinterpretation of the concept. But they took it in a direction of, no, this thing is a threat. Yeah. Like, this thing is threatening the balance of life on Earth as we know it. Yes. And it, it reacts to outside stimulus specifically. Yes. Because it's constantly adapting and evolving. Um, and that's why I feel like Shin Godzilla is a slightly more successful take on the material. But anyway, the, 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 the reason why I don't so much mind the way that the kaiju um, act in this movie with their personalities and stuff is because, A, you're correct... I grew up on these movies. I remember Gator Three-Headed Monster, where the monsters are literally talking to each other. Monsters oh, trying right. to convince Godzilla and Rodan to team up to fight Ghidorah. I, I, what do you want? Well, you're, that's Godzilla versus Gaidan. I know. <laughs> okay. Why do you want? <laughs> something funny is going on. He sounds like Macho Man Randy Savage. I know. You gotta get, let me tell you something, Gaidan. That's <laughs> not Macho Man's voice, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Cream of the crap! Oh, <laughs> Did I spit in your face? I'm sorry. Spit in my face. <laughs> in you don't like face. God, you don't like Godzilla? Patui, patui. Ah. <laughs> so anyway, um, but the other reason why I kind of like this is because it inherently actually makes them more mysterious and more mythical in a way because these are creatures that have been around for millions of years. They're they're almost incomprehensible in their old godness, their old ones' Lovecraftianness, and you'd think that because they've been around humans, or at least Godzilla has, uh, as well as the other kaiju, they actually probably have behavior that humanity either picked up on, or maybe they picked up on from humanity. It's kind of an interesting implication, but regardless, the the text of the film is that these are thinking, living creatures, and they have their own mentality and stuff, even though the characterization is still pretty limited. I mean, Ghidorah is a sadistic bastard who is just constantly toying with his prey, like a cat, (laughs) Um, as cats do. Godzilla's main character trait is that he hates Ghidorah, (laughs) which I think is fun. Um, and there's some interesting interactions that happen later on. Rodan clearly enjoys his work. Um, <laughs> but, I don't know, those are aspects that Godzilla fans want out of these movies. And it's honestly, it's the thing that's made a lot of new viewers into Godzilla fans. I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I didn't expect the monsters to have personalities. No, I, that's such a good point. Like, like that part didn't work for me personally, but I've had so many people. We were just at Dragon Con right. a couple of weekends ago, mm-hmm. and there were so many people that came up to the table and they said, you know, I'm, I'd never seen a Godzilla movie. This particular movie, even though you and I have a lot of problems with it, made me a Godzilla fan. I've started ordering or going back and rewatching more of the Japanese ones. 
And so that, that warms the cockles of my cold, dead heart. Yeah. Like, yes, let this be a gateway. Let this be the low, low bar to get you into the rest of the <laughs> fandom. Ironically, same thing happened to Godzilla 98. Hey! A lot, of, a lot of young Godzilla fans have a real soft spot for Godzilla 98 because they, they'll say, you know what? This isn't a great Godzilla, this is not a God, it's not a great Godzilla movie, but it was the thing that, it was the first monster movie I ever saw, and it made me want to go back and watch the old Godzilla movies. And I would consider that a net positive. Um, Godzilla 98, though, uh, there was a little more going on behind the scenes, so to speak, where, um. Oh yeah, that, that movie in its own way is the opposite of this movie, of Kingdom of Monsters, in that it came from a place of utter disdain. <laughs> they thought that no matter what they did, any changes they made were going to be better than these cheap jack, crappy movies made by hacks in Japan. Like, that the very merit of it being a big-budget American film was going to make it inherently superior, and that is disgusting. Yeah. It's really gross. But, and it also did kill Godzilla's career broadly in the United States for a, about a decade. Yeah. Um, but, you know what? We're out of that now. Boy, howdy, we're drowning in Godzilla. <laughs> so, uh, back to Ghidorah rising oh, yeah. out of the ice. And yes. the heads each have different personalities. They're each reacting to things differently, which is something that they've never done in the films, uh, in the previous films, which is a really creative idea. In the previous films, Ghidorah is kind of bereft of personality. He's just this giant force of chaos. I mean, the original Ghidorah movie, uh, his heads are going ballistic. And yeah. it's like, it's they're intended to resemble down power lines, just spewing yeah. lightning. And it makes him scarier, in a way, of being this blunt force of destruction. Yeah. Um, then comes probably one of my two favorite scenes in the movie. It is a scene where I'm like, all right, everybody shut up! Because Bear McCurry's music is going, and Godzilla's showing up. It is this, it's this, like, this build-up, and the sound, and the ice cracking, and Godzilla bursting from the sea. And it's that... It's that Ifakube theme, which they finally did something with the Ifakube music that I always wanted them to do, which was put in a chorus. And the chorus is are these Japanese vocalists who are basically saying, go, go, Godzilla, which hmm. just tickles me. But it's like the sword, ha, 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 Godzilla! And it's so badass. And it's just like, and he's fucking bowing up to Ghidorah, and Ghidorah bows up to him, and it's like a rap battle's about to break out, <laughs> and it's so badass. And that whole sequence is really kind of fun, because it's all the, it's the characters trying not to get trampled on, and Godzilla and Ghidorah are just, are just tearing into each other, and they're blasting beams at each other, and it's just classic Godzilla. I wish there was a little less snow and ice in this, on the screen, preventing you from really seeing what's happening, but... You gotta obscure the CG. Yeah, I had a feeling the CG budget for this movie probably got stretched kind of thin, because some of the sequences are not great. Mm. Or at least they're not up to the same par that we've come to expect. But it's fine. It's still handled relatively well, but anyway... Uh, unfortunately, this is also the sequence where, uh, our bae, our boo, Sally Hawkins, uh, gets done eaten. <laughs> For no reason, like, uh, there was no reason to kill her off. It made more sense to keep her. Like, like, we already, I, I mean, I already pretty much knew that Sarazawa was gonna bite it later. 
Like that's that's his character's namesake. Like what else? Like he's the one, like the one Japanese guy. What else is he gonna do except nobly sacrifice himself? At no, some no, 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 no. It made more sense to keep her as his protege, so she could kind of carry on in his place. And instead, and this happens much later, and we'll get to it. But he passes the torch. To Wolf Listener Kyle Chandler. <laughs> Wolf like, Listener, attorney at law. He's like, he's like, he gives like, my notes. You know, like, like this burden is yours now. And I was like, he hadn't earned shit. Don't give that to him. It's so... Okay, like, let's be honest about something, though. The reason why we're upset about Sally Hawkins dying isn't really have a whole lot to do with her character. We just like Sally Hawkins. What? Well, for the reason I just stated, narratively, I thought it made more sense to keep her. But yes, I do just like Sally Hawkins. I know she did not have nearly enough to do in this or the previous movie. That's true. Because I always, like I said, I always felt like she had the potential for this really interesting dynamic with Sarizawa. Yes. And they never really tapped into it. No, because they had to give us Kyle Chandler. And it's just, oh, man. And like, and I, I mean, I know you, which is the one that Sally Hawkins is in, is it Persuasion? Okay, I I always I love her in persuasion. I always forget the title of that one because I just in my head just call it Jane Austen's Daria. Uh, but um, and I feel like that's not, You're not ina- wrong. that's not inaccurate. <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, do yourself a favor and go watch it. It's great. The British one. There's there's no U.S. There's, production one, no, right? Okay, I'm just I'm, it's a I'm, it's Jane Austen. I'm, there's I'm, none more British. <laughs> Jane Austen, chief export of the UK next to uh, Doctor Who and Sherlock. <laughs> and, the, and the what did each Romer guy say? And the legacy of colonialism? <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, wrong. Anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, it's really unfortunate she dies. I guess they're, they're trying to up the stakes. Why do they always have to kill off a woman to up the stakes? Because it's the same... Okay, bear with me, guys. Mm. It's the same reason why the black guy always dies. Not all the time, but the black guy... There was a a period of time there in Hollywood where the black guy always dies. And it's because it's actually tapping into the audience's inherent white guilt. Of like, oh god, he was the cool black guy and now he's dead. And... He also can get killed up because he's not one of the one of the high paid white leads. Um, same problem with killing off a woman, fridging a woman. Essentially, is like, well, she wasn't a highly paid lead, so we can kill her off. Um, it's just um, it's, that's how the business goes sometimes. Um, business sucks. And it does suck. So, cut to. Uh, this is the part of the movie where I always go to the bathroom, <laughs> because... Oh, yeah, there was, like, in the in the cut scenes that we mm. watched, like, at this point... Uh, After Kyle, Kyle Chandler has his concussion? Yeah, he got concussed, or whatever. <laughs> and he had an actually, he had a really cool dream sequence that made him a little bit more, like, compelling as a character. It was, like, it was, like, this weird flashback to some family moments, and it's, like, the only freaking time we see his son alive on screen. Except for, like, one video they did when they were all dressed up like bears. Oh, 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 that's right. Which is kind of cute. No, that's cute. Bear kisses! That was cute. But yeah. That's cute. No, but then that got cut for some reason, and it's a short scene, and I thought it added a lot of pathos to his character, and uh, no, I guess not. Cut it. His acting was so much more aggressive and desperate in that. Um... 
And but I can I can see why they cut why on a higher macro level they cut that sequence because it's essentially a repeat of the not necessarily the uh, sequence of the birthday but more uh, the additional sequence in San Francisco because it's essentially a repeat of the opening scene where he's running around going Andrew Andrew personally I and then like he sees Godzilla that. and has this primal shrieking rage directed at Godzilla so well no personally I liked having that as a callback to that first scene I liked being reminded that you know this is where he's coming from this is still where he's at. Mentally, this is the hurdle he needs to move past and to grow as a character. Right. I liked having that again. And you know, it's one of the reasons why I actually don't mind it when Japanese films do callbacks like that. Because one thing that Japanese movies really, really do is they want you to feel the emotion of a scene mm. and to get why this is happening. Uh, which is why they always do flashbacks and callbacks and stuff. Um, anyway, we got to the sequence where I always go to the bathroom, which is the big reveal that, oh, Emma's been working with a terrorist this whole time. Oh and... my god, her fucking PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, why does she have those video clips queued up? Like, did, it, like, does she have this montage ready to... Did she practice this, like, in oh, the morning, man. brushing her teeth? In a world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just... It also presents the emotionally and logically and narratively confused core argument of the movie, which is Emma and Charles Dance and all these terrorist characters, they're eco-terrorists, they want to release all the titans because of global warming and because of climate change. And I'm like, that's a really interesting basis but again, it's so confused because she's like, oh, the Titans will restore balance to the Earth and they'll restore the natural order. And she doesn't go into any of the details of like... Like how that will happen. How is that, they're going to kill a lot of people. Yes. Okay. Me. So what exactly are they going to fix? Like, and she does say like, oh, well, their radiation triggers all of this growth and stuff, which is like radioactive growth, like, yeah, Chernobyl's of, not a good thing, guys. Yeah, there's a lot of yikes energy in that argument. It, there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there also, which is unfortunately echoed in the commentary track of the movie, yeah. where apparently there are people who think that Chernobyl is now this overgrown natural wonderland because of the reactor melting down. And Okay, guys, I know that pop culture has taught you that nuclear wastelands are supposed to be these barren, lifeless deserts. That's not really how it works. Yeah, plants and animals are still going to grow and and be there because there's no people there. But we don't know the full effect of what that radiation has had. Apparently, the hogs and the pigs that, are, that live in, in that area of Chernobyl, they're being born with shrunken brains. Yeah. That can't be a good thing. No, yeah, and like and like you just said, like life in in and around Chernobyl, like natural plant life and these like is flourishing. That has a lot less to do with the radiation fallout and a lot more to do that there's no fucking people there exactly. anymore mm-hmm. to to I don't even know, mow or whatever. <laughs> just up Gotta put my suit on and go mow Chernobyl. Um, <laughs> well, and, and it's just like it also misses a really interesting oppor- storytelling opportunity, which is they could have spec- they could have actually fixed this by specifying. Okay, somebody could have said like, okay, yes, there's evidence that that life does grow in the wake of these titans, but it's 
It's plant and animal life unlike we've ever seen before. It's not habitable for humans. And she's like, she could have said like, because she does allude back to the fact that apparently there was this civilization of ancients that lived alongside the Titans. And she could have said like, our ancestors, she, she could even have said, well, we may not be able to live with them, but our descendants will figure out how once balance has been restored. I feel like that line, adding something like that, could have fixed this whole thing and made it much more clear about what their actual goal is. Yeah, because they really, in, I don't know if it's the edits or the reshoots or the cutscenes or whatever, but they really, really tried to soften her character mm-hmm. and make her less of a villain and more of like, I don't know confused, maybe? Traumatized? She's traumatized by the, life of, by the loss of her son, so she's going to make Kaiju run around? And kill the rest of them? It's emotionally confused. It's and very emotionally confused, because they want her to be sympathetic and relatable at the same time as they want her to be this crazy villain person. And I'm like, Pick, pick your cake, there, man. What, what you're referencing is there's a there's a later scene where um, Madison and Emma are having this big argument. And it's it's much later in the film, but... Yeah, and we'll, we'll probably bring it up again. Yeah, but uh, I'll go ahead and t- mention it now, just in case we forget about it or blow past it. But basically, shit doesn't go right. and Or not the way they were planning. And in the, in the film version, the argument is simply... You know, I know this isn't, you know, Emma's all like, I know this isn't what we wanted, but, you know, we can make this work. And Madison is all like, meh, you said we're going to restore balance. You said it was for Andrew. For Andrew. In the, there's a, in the cut scene, or rather in the alternate cut, it's a much more vicious argument. It's much more emotionally manipulative. It's much more of Emma dumping on Kyle Chandler's character. Uh, Mark, that was his name. Oh, uh, yeah. Dumping on his character and saying, oh, he went off in the woods to drink himself to death with his wolves, basically, or whatever. It was something of that tune. And I'm like, oh, this relationship suddenly makes so much more sense. Right. And it makes her a much less sympathetic character, and in a way, makes the final sacrifice almost work a little better, because she's all. it's almost like... Well, I've clearly never done anything right, so this is all I can do. I guess so. I mean, I've I've got a lot of issues with that final that that final sacrifice. Anyways, and like like it's so trite, it's so overdone. And th- we're at the point where you really could have lifted the terrorist plot out of the film entirely. Yeah, uh, because it just they don't really get to. First of all, they don't get to do a whole lot after the certain point. But no. like once they wake up, Ghidorah, like mm-hmm. they're. They literally they go to ground like that's what the rest of those people do. They're yeah. in a they're in a bunker. They're mm-hmm. somewhere safe, and they're going to ride out the apocalypse. Basically, right? Like they're literally done. Well, I mean, r- they do release Rodan in another really cool. I think a really cool action sequence that's very fast paced and well done. Even though when I first saw it in the theater, I was like, "Holy Christ, I really need a break." Because this movie is kind of nonstop right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's this whole sequence in Mexico with them waking up Ghidorah. Not Ghidorah, Rodan. Yeah. And uh, it's the music's great, and Rodan comes out of the volcano, and it's like, rah! And I, and I really liked how a lot of the times people I saw the movie with for the first time, they were like, we're kind of 
like, which one's this going to be? They're whispering to me, like, which one's this going to be? Which one's going to be? And then Rodan comes out, and they're like, oh, shit, it's Rodan! Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, again, it's just, it's fun. It's fun kaiju mayhem. And it's when the movie is at its strongest, because you get to kind of drink in the kaiju and revel in them. <laughs> and the whole scenes of the people and everything. It's just, it's just very well done kaiju-rific mayhem. And Rodan himself, I think, is, this is one of the best versions of Rodan because they really tapped into this elemental nature because he's a firebird. He's a creature born from a volcano. And the little extra details of his skin essentially being covered in um, volcanic lava and uh, magma. And uh, (laughs) he's got this trail of cinders and embers and ash trailing off of him. Yeah. Uh, I do wish that his voice was a little closer to the original. That that a little more of that as opposed to this kind of generic bird-like sound they gave him. Yeah. I felt like it would have been a little more impactful because every time... I like the new Godzilla's roar, but every time he had that classic roar, I was just like, oh, God, there it is. <laughs> um, Ghidorah's new roar was good, though. They kind of took that original trilling and made it a little more shrieking and high-pitched. Um, but anyway, that's all, that's all high level monster stuff. And that's what I'm here for. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's a pretty exciting sequence where I don't know why those, uh, those fighter jets even bothered trying to fight Rodan. They weren't going to beat him. Their whole plan was they were going to try to draw him away to go fight Monster Zero, to go fight Ghidorah. Um, but it's all a fairly exciting sequence. There's lots happening, and, you know, the monsters are fighting in, in, in the air and stuff, and it's cool. And then uh, Rodan gets briefly defeated. Here comes Godzilla, and uh, he comes up to, to fight Ghidorah, and it looks like he's doing pretty well. And then Admiral McBad at my job from the first movie, <laughs> which was your name. It was. Uh, he calls up and says, like, hey, by the way, uh, Oxygen Destroyer. Literally. Literally. By the way, we invented this thing. We gave it a name that you recognize. We're not going to explain how or why or when or if there's more or... Yeah, if they have this thing that can kill Kaiju, are they going to use it again in the future? Right. And they're just like, hey, get get out, get outside the blast zone. We're going to kill everything within two miles. And I'm like, in the city? In the, well, I'm assuming they haven't finished evacuating. It's a big ass city. That is like, something that they do address later on, much later, like the like the post credit sequence. How uh, the they can't fish in, in that area anymore because all the fish are dead. And I guess no new fish moved in. Well, if they killed everything in the area, there's nothing for the fish to feed on. All the dead fish. Well, who knows? Maybe it's rendered inert. I don't know. Leave me alone. Um, like, like all the way down to the bacteria. They killed everything? That's how the Oxygen Shore worked in the original movie. Dang. Um, but yeah, like, well, it, it, it literally stripped the organic matter off of the bones, leaving just calci- calcified bone. Like, the original Oxygen Shore was terrifying. Oh, in the original, yes. In this version, you just see, like, fish floating. Yeah, again, it's happened so fast, and it's like, it's because they wanted... A, they wanted to show that, yes, the military could kill the monsters if they wanted to. And B, they wanted Godzilla to be defeated. And they wanted Godzilla to be injured in some way, almost, almost, for him to almost die. Um, and they also, you know, I get why they did it. It's just, it so happened so fast. Mm. But anyway, uh, 
turns out the Oxygen Destroyer, while it did grievously injure Godzilla to the point where they think he's dead, um, uh, it didn't kill Ghidorah. In or fact, phase him. Even really way. phase him. Godzilla did more damage to Ghidorah than the Oxygen Destroyer did. I mean, he tore one of his goddamn heads off. Kevin! Kevin, no! Um, and uh, that is something else that Ghidorah has never done, which was regrow a head. Which, yeah. again, it, it's... They kind of added to this cool alienness of the character, which yeah. is, you know, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. And then Ghidorah proceeds to wake up all the other Titans, which is also a really fun, cool sequence, I think. Again, the monsteriness of it. That's what I like is that, and that's the thing that the audiences responded to, was the, the monsteriness of it all. The kaijuitude of it all. Kaijuitude. The kaijuitude. Kaijuitude. Um, and, uh, you know, at this point... That's when everyone's like, oh man, we're, we're due, we're do, dookie time, this bad, bad time, bad time. I said it. And, um, <laughs> so now we get to, we're going to skip ahead a little bit and we're going to get to, um, let me see here, because uh, now, you know, they have this whole like, well, the, the kaiju, you know, the, the Madison and Emma have this, this, this falling out. Um, they then, the characters, okay, this actually, I almost forgot. My other favorite sequence of the movie is Mothra coming out of her cocoon. Oh, yeah. It's really beautiful. It's super well done. It's got Yuji Koseki's original Mothra theme pumping through it. It's really well done. It also reveals the little Easter egg that uh, Dr. Chen has a twin sister, Dr. Ling, and they're basically supposed to be the Mothra twins, in a way. Yeah. Um, which is, again, it's fun. And apparently, they built on that in the original plan for the uh, post credit sequence, but... They didn't do that. Instead, they just did more stuff with Charles Dance, even though he's not going to be in Godzilla vs. Kong, as far as anyone knows. So why bother? But anyway, um, so at this point, the characters get into a sub. Mothra somehow helps them find out where Godzilla is. Like, did she go to them? Did she, like... I, I This confuses me so much, because, like, like, in a second, they're going to talk all about, like, the hollow earth theory, which, oh, God. But, <laughs> I think it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, she comes, she comes to this one ship out in the middle of the ocean that happens to have Kyle Chandler on it. Well, it's technically the Monarch base, but yeah, I know what you mean. Well, but he's outside. Right. And so she comes to this <laughs> one place when Kyle Chandler is outside, and she has this moment, and they're like, she's talking to Godzilla. And, like, when they go to search for Godzilla, he's, like, 600 fucking miles away. Like... Yeah, why... How does... How is she talking to him? Why is she at this particular human base to do so? Was it to draw their attention to him? If so, how did she know these were the helpy type of humans? And I just... I have so many questions. In fairness... I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where, unless you know about that... I mean, it's sort of implied that Mothra kind of has this connection to everyone, and she's friendly towards humans, except for when she was attacking them at the beginning of the movie, but that's never mind. Um, uh-huh. She was a baby. You uh-huh. know, what do you do? But... Capitantrum, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, um... I don't know. I'm willing to give that a pass, because it's this, it's this goofy monster movie logic, and... And I like the sequence of her, like, exploding out of the clouds, and it's this Kyle Chandler, like, basically seeing the face of God. Oh, no, it's a gorgeous scene. It's wonderfully shot. (laughs) 
Yeah, and also, how did he get down to the base so fast? To, oh my to be god! In that scene? Like literally, we're up with him in the rain and the 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 face of God moment. The next scene, we're down in like the main control room of the base, which we've already established via Osprey is far away. Mm-hmm. You need an Osprey to get down there, or you a know, elevator, or something. Yeah, or something. Elevator. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. so so we established that he is far away. So if it cuts directly from that scene with Kyle Chandler to the control room with all these other people, and he is still wet, and he, like, slides into view. Like, did you run down here, buddy? Like, like were they waiting for you for the 20-minute elevator ride it would have taken for you to get back down to the hangar and navigate your way through all of the tunnels to get to the base part? Like... Oh, it's it, it feels like this movie is afraid to go more than 30 seconds without showing Kyle Chandler's face, lest the audience lose interest entirely. It's strange. It's, it's so it becomes downright bizarre at a per- certain moment. Because, I mean, this is, of course, hot on the heels of... Uh, them having this 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 powwow with um, Admiral Stenz. Oh, and, right. And then Dr. Chen starts starts talking about something, and then Kyle Chandler more or less cuts her off, and it proceeds to explain the whole alpha pack leader thing, which, by the way, the whole alpha thing is kind of bullshit, because it's only behavior observed in wolves in captivity, as opposed to wolves in the wild, which the alphas are usually the parents of the group. What but, do you think is a professional PhD holding wolf listener? He might have known <laughs> something about that. It's, I get it. It's goofy movie science logic. It's the, the, guess what? You can't, rem- you can't bring dinosaurs back with DNA from mosquito blood. Cause DNA doesn't, blood doesn't have DNA in it. Don't take this from me. <laughs> and look, I know I don't have a problem with movies playing a little fast and loose with science. It's fine. What I want is for stuff to be consistent and for stuff to thematically make sense. Like, the whole thing with the radiation. Like, if the radiation is good, quote-unquote, how come Sarazawa has to wear this radiation suit when he goes into Godzilla's lair? Which, by the way, they find Godzilla's lair. Which We'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. No, yeah, like like that moment you were talking about with Admiral Stans. Like, I feel like Dr. Chen turned to Kyle Chandler was making a good point. And then Admiral Sten's like, oh, is there, like, a you comment share from the peanut the gallery? Yeah. Kind of, like, share with the class kind of kind of a moment. And she turns with a hand on hip. And I'm like, oh, good. We're about to have a character moment where she, like, shows off how useful and functional she is in this world. And she goes, yes, I do. And then Kyle Chandler steps in front of her to be like, look. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, even if it's the function of his character, it comes across as... Weird. I mean, they have this amazing cast of different types of characters, and they feel afraid to utilize them. Like, Kyle Chandler has to be the purveyor of all action 
action that moves the story along. He has to be the the holder of all knowledge <laughs> related to anything happening. Like he has to be the one to go help open up the hangar doors that but, are. Oh stuck. my god! Him and head of IT, which is actually who's like um, like more of a marketing person. Really, like these are the two people you send to the hangar to check on the malfunctioning door. Thomas really? Thomas Middleditch. Middleditch was the uh, actor who plays that character. He's um he's mostly known from Silicon Valley. Oh, which I've never seen. Yeah, he's uh, looks like he's been around for a hot minute. Um, oh my god, look at that picture of oh, him. He's got his a, little baby face. Yeah, I saw him. He's got, apparently he's got a voice role in Kong Skull Island. That's actually very interesting. Well, there you go. He's Jerry. He's, Good old Jerry. Yeah, old Jerry. Oh, he's gonna be in Zombieland. Um, yeah, he's in a lot. Of, he does a lot of voice work. That's nice. Um, again, I liked him. He just, you know, didn't get to do a whole lot. No, yeah. Um, and then, like, I just, oh, I just, again, Kyle Chandler does not have to be both, like, the guy with the science key to the linchpin of the movie and the badass taken dad and, yeah. like, the explainer of all things. And it just, he doesn't have to be everything. It's, it's very, it's weird and it's frustrating. And again, it could have worked. If they just lifted the terrorist plot out of the movie entirely, don't even address that. I mean, I get it. Vera Farmiga and Charles Dance and Millie Bobby Brown, they're great actors. Even though I kind of think, uh, I kind of think personally that Vera Farmiga was phoning it in a little bit, but that's just me. I, know, um, I think that might just be how her face looks. <laughs> sure, why not? I really liked when we were rewatching it, and I was complaining loudly the mm-hmm. whole time. I really liked your your idea if once they released Ghidorah in Antarctica, mm-hmm. doing that killed them all. Yeah, Ghidorah just killed everyone. Yeah, he just killed everyone. Oh, God, no! Yeah. And then it could have been purely about, again, well, you don't... Again, you you don't you don't bring in Vera Farmiga and Millie Bobby Brown and then kill them in the first act. Like, Oh, but you can kill Sally Hawkins. I see how it is. Don't give me that. <laughs> that wasn't direct... That was a general glare of contempt. My point is that you could still have this terror subplot and then render it, oh, this was stupid and null and void because we're not going to do anything with it anyway, because now Ghidorah is going to wake all the Titans up. Yeah, I mean, he does that anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, and I mean, there's other little things where, like, at a certain point, and we're kind of at this point anyway, uh, Millie Bobby Brown's character does steal the Orca. And she... Yeah, because in a cut scene, we've, they establish that she's, like, this actual capable survivalist person. Right. She's been trained to be a survivalist. And apparently she also turns on the intercom system, which is what allows her to listen in on what's going on in the rest of the base. Yeah, in another cut scene, that was... That actually, that one made the trailer, though. That one yeah. where she's like, I'm looking for Monarch. I'm trying to get, and, t- I'm trying to get contact yeah, with Yeah, and she's just hearing all of the horror that's out there in the world. Really Why did cool. they cut that? It was good enough for the trailer. It really brought home the terror of what was happening. Okay, so <laughs> quick aside, quick aside. Okay, tell me, tell me what it is. One of the things about this movie that drove me bug nuts was one. the whole time, the only insight we have to all of this destruction and everything that's happening all over the world, like the literal apocalypse that we've all entered, 
is by like random news clips. Uh-huh. Like we have all of these completely calm, completely normal news anchors droning on in the background. It's like giant monsters have awoken all over the world and are rampaging. Oh, Truly, yeah. it is the end times. <laughs> like, like it's that level, you know. And like that's just droning on and like all these cities have fallen, and it's just. It's just kind of thrown out there. It's like, oh, by the way, the rest of the world exists. And, oh, by the way, all this stuff is happening. That moment, though, that got cut, that was in the trailer where she's listening in and you're hearing all of this, like, like... All the titans this are personal horror. And people are like, like is anybody out there? Yes. That, we need help! That really yeah. drove it home and made it a little bit more like, oh, crap, there's all this stuff happening. And this, and it's bad. It's yeah, real bad. Um, Having it, like, droned out me calmly by a news anchor that clearly doesn't even believe it's happening. <laughs> it's like, the Fox News no, it's coverage. Yes. Well, the liberals are saying that <laughs> this giant sloth monster is in uh, Brazil, is destroying Sao Paulo no, right it's now. No, it's just, it's toneless. There's no sense of urgency. They're just, they're literally expositing world states for us, for the purpose of the audience to at least know. It's like, oh yeah, other stuff is happening. Just letting you know. And it's context. Like, and it's like, man, and there's some little sequences, like, they go to Washington, where Ghidorah has formed it. Again, okay, this is a little bit of cool monsterness that I have to talk about. The idea that Ghidorah is so powerful and so alien to our environment that it's creating a global superstorm. Just by his presence alone, that's really cool. And they, the and the monarch and the military, all in the navy and air force and everybody, all go to Washington because that's where Ghidorah is right now. Ghidorah and Rodan, and Washington has been flooded. Like the the navy destroyers are going past Congress. It's it on in this. It's all underwater. And that that imagery is so cool. But again, it's all happening in such rapid succession that it doesn't really give a chance to sink in. Yeah. And you don't get a chance to live in it or really like experience it as though that it's real. It's there's something very distant about it, something very emotionally unattached. And again, I, I get it, like there's a lot happening in this film, but I just feel like if you I would say go check out the novelization, which I have here. Uh, I haven't sat down and read it end to end. It actually was on a panel with the writer of the novelization at uh, DragonCon. But it actually does a little more of that. It actually uh, tells uh, certain sequences from the perspective of monarch operatives who are at these other outposts while these titans are rising. Oh, see, Um, that's way more interesting than anything in this movie. (laughs) So, again, the structure is there. It's just, man, it's so rapid fire. But, again, you know, there's some, it's a cool battle sequence where they're fighting Ghidorah and Rodan in Washington while the nerds are in a sub, and their plan is to go find Godzilla in these hollow earth Atlantean ruins... Yeah, they get sucked into a vortex. Like, first of all, you oh, didn't yeah. know that was there? The vortex is a little weird. Yeah, second of all, in all of our centuries of sea exploration, ain't nobody noticed all of these fucking vortexes I, going through a hollow earth? I think only a tiny percentage of the ocean has actually been explored, so I'm willing to cut them some slack on I'm it. I'm glad you are. <laughs> well, again, that's another problem is, uh, you know, think about a movie like Jurassic Park, which has... Kind of a lot of problems. It's got yeah. a lot of it's got a lot of holes in it. 
but it's so damn good you don't care. The characters are so compelling and so well written. Well, but they told you in the movie they plugged the holes with frog DNA. And that made the frogs gay. Um, <laughs> or no, what? no, the, the frogs are already gay. Right, they were already lesbians. Is that what happened? The dinosaurs all became lesbians. Wait. <laughs> Your eldest, and I apologize. It's fine. Um, anyway, my point is that you can you can make all this stuff work. It's just I don't know. Like I mean, and it's not to say that classic kaiju movies are have fewer flaws. They're just I feel like they're more thematically cohesive. They tended to be more thematically cohesive, especially yeah. with the dream team of Honda, Sekizawa, and the, and Tsuburaya and all the the boys um, running the show back in the day, but. Anyway, uh, they find these ancient ruins, which there is, again, I, I, this is actually, I think it's actually really cool. This idea of, like, oh, apparently this must have been Atlantis at some point, and it must have sank? How did this, how did it get here? Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe we'll find out in the next movie. I don't know. It's just cool. And We're not going to find out in the next movie. They blew it up. Well, maybe there's more. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, like, apparently there was this civilization that lived alongside the Titans and worshipped them as gods. And, although they do this one thing where you see a relief on the side of a of a wall at one point, and you see Godzilla essentially being worshipped by all these people, but they have it written in Katakana, Gojira. Did the, katakana didn't exist. Did the ancients yet. invent katakana? Like that was silly. Like every pretty much every person I talk to, especially Japanese people who live in Japan, are are well, mostly guys like Jim and Jr. who who are like super nerds. They're like, yeah, that was stupid. That was really stupid. I know Jim thought that. <laughs> I love you guys. Can't wait to see you in Tokyo. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So. Then they're like, oh, the sub got damaged at one point. Our plan was to launch this nuke at Godzilla. Which, by the way, a friend of ours explained that apparently modern nukes aren't that radioactive. Nope. It's mostly just a very big explosion, which... That was what the first movie was about. They were using nukes to lure the monsters, and they were going to try to blow them up with the explosion. It just, this is why they never used a nuke on Godzilla in the previous movies, because it doesn't really make sense. It's an explosion. Yeah. I can understand nuclear testing waking up Godzilla or something like that, or, you know, it initially mutating him. Look, there's a lot of baggage with the use of nuclear weapons in Godzilla movies, because these movies come from this inherently anti-nuclear stance, and this movie's kind of thrown it around willy-nilly. Again, yeah, it's a, a little very... too casually. It's major yikes energy. Right. And, and then, I think that there is some thematic, something thematically interesting to talk about with Serizawa being the one to set off the nuke and revive Godzilla because his father was a Hiroshima survivor, according to the original film. That was that watch thing was about. I and know. I'm just explaining it for the audience. Because <laughs> you guarantee you, me, like no, one, know. no one else remembers, <laughs> which is why it was so frustrating that they didn't address it. Uh, Serizawa does have a really good line, which is sometimes to find peace, we have to make... What, what does he say? Sometimes to heal our wounds, we have to make peace with the demons that created them. Yeah, that is such... That That is a more poignant and powerful line than this movie deserves. Because they immediately switch the tone after he says it. And I'm like, no, let us have this moment. Let Let's us talk about this. this. 
And they don't want to talk about it. He starts waffling poetically about these moments of crisis and faith where we come together or fall apart. It's not bad dialogue, but it's just not as compelling as talking about this nuke thing. Yeah. Anyway, I will admit that the sequence with uh, Sarazawa in the lair of Godzilla, walking up to Godzilla and everything, I thought it was very cool. And it was this, it was very much a, a moment for the fans who have this emotional connection with Godzilla as this, as kind of like you feel like he's an old friend, even though for us he doesn't exist, but he still has shepherded a lot of us through our lives. And for these characters, Godzilla isn't really aware they're alive, but they've known him their whole lives, and especially for Serizawa, so it's almost like an old friend. So there is some poignancy to this sequence. It's just all so... It's so neutered and truncated, and the edges are all sanded off. Yeah. So that's why it's frustrating to me. Guys, don't at me. So, somehow, this revives Godzilla. Somehow. And apparently, when he comes out of the water in this whole, like... You know, and he's all, oh, look at him, he's all big. And he's glowing, and it's cool. Uh, How are they all not sterile? Right. (laughs) How do they all not have cancer? Right. Which is sort of a running thing in this movie, where it's like, boy, these people come into contact with these big radioactive monsters a lot and don't have any side effects. (laughs) Maybe they'll do it in the next movie. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, uh, it's still a fun sequence because it's more Godzilla, and you get to, you get to drink in Godzilla and how cool and big he is. And he's doing that thing from the Japanese movies that I love to hate on. Oh, yeah. Where he's <laughs> in the middle of the ocean, and I'm like, is he, like, super fast dog paddling, and we can't tell? <laughs> like, what's he standing on? He's very buoyant. I've seen... He's like a duck. I've seen a number of comics that, it again, it warms the cockles of my cold, dead heart. To see, like, a whole new generation of people who were not aware that this is a bizarre thing that happens in the Godzilla trope. movies. So I've seen all these little comics where they, like, they've drawn him with, like, like his tail is is whirring like a, like a <laughs> motor. Uh-huh. Or, like, his legs are just real, real, real long. And I'm just like, oh, sweet summer children. Sweet you summer have no children. idea. Yeah, it's it's... It's just one of those things, and it's like, yeah, I was going to say, this is the middle of the ocean, but anyway, <laughs> they wanted this moment where Godzilla can lean down and look at the characters, and again, it's very much a movie where they wanted these moments, so they bend over backwards and break the spine of the film so they can have these moments. It's a, it's a cinematic equivalent of, man, a T-Rex looks really cool when it's standing upright, like it had been at the Museum of Natural, Natural History for decades. But in order to make it stand upright, it had to break its pelvis. Wow. Yeah. Because that's just the way they thought it was supposed to stand. And that's the the museum was like, oh, well, that's that's the way the public knows a T-Rex is supposed to look like. So make it stand upright. Well, we got to break its pelvis now. It's the cinematic equivalent of that. Like, it looks real cool, but you had to break it on some Jesus level. Jesus Christ. I know. Isn't that weirdly infuriating? That pisses me off. <laughs> I love retro dinosaurs. I love retro anachronistic dinosaurs. But they had to... They knew. Yep. They had to break its pelvis. Yep. They knew. Yep. They knew. Yep. The Look American public can learn. <laughs> that's Do it you, correctly. That's why you go to a museum to learn. To learn how it's supposed to. Oh my god! <laughs> You're so upset. I'm about so this. upset. I don't think I've seen you this upset since you found out that you couldn't pay for a rental car with a debit card. And why not? <laughs> my money's good. You think I don't have it? 
It's about credit card companies. It's fine. No, it is not. <laughs> okay, okay. Back to Godzilla. Come on. We got to get through this. We're almost done. I'll hurry so, up. Okay. So, uh, Ghidorah gets lured to Boston because apparently the base where the terrorists were held up at was just outside of Boston. Boston. And, um... Uh, Madison lures Ghidorah to the city, apparently after it's been evacuated, I hope. Yeah, I think that was sort of inferred. Yeah. And I mean, so, so she plugged it in at Fenway Park to make it a big, big speaker. And what was the point of that? Was she thinking that if she did the alpha wave, it would calm them all down? Because it, yes. it did, everybody but Ghidra. And I'm assuming what? she didn't know that that would happen. No, I don't think... I think that she was kind of... she. We have established in the film that she is rather impulsive. And that's fine. She basically knew that, they, that... She'd overheard her mom talking about how if they use Fenway Park as an amplifier, these monsters can apparently hear the signal from for miles. All around the world. Apparently. apparently. The one in Thailand was like, well, I guess I better chill. Yeah, I guess I better stop. And so all of the so all the monsters stop, but of course because Ghidorah, well, he's sometimes affected by it and sometimes not, which is also a little frustrating. But he was drawn to it. He comes and tries to attack Millie Bobby Brown specifically, specifically drawn by the orca, of course. And then another badass sequence. Here comes Godzilla coming out of the Great Lakes, I guess, or maybe not. No, I guess it would have been the Atlantic. Where was he? <laughs> Boston. Yeah, Boston. Is Boston on the Boston on the Atlantic coast? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was thinking of something else then. Is it on the Great Lakes too? No. Oh. Could have sworn. Well, whatever. No, Chicago is on the Great Lakes. That's true. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Anyway, so here comes Godzilla and it's like Soyeh! Dun 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 I have a question. Yelp. So there's that scene from the trailer and in the movie mm. where she sees Godzilla and she smiles. <laughs> why cute. why does she why why? It's described in the novel as savage glee. <laughs> But like she she's doesn't basically, really know that much about Godzilla. Well, she knows that Godzilla is the one... Well, she was raised around monarch scientists. She knows that Godzilla is the one who's supposed to restore balance. And that he's the one who's coming to kick Ghidorah's ass. Even well, though her brother was covert. I was gonna say, doesn't she have the same emotional hang-ups that her parents do? It's never established. Except that Andrew... I would assume is simply Andrew got caught in the crossfire between Godzilla and the Mudos in the first movie. And that's... That's, that's as far as she takes it. But uh, it's, again, it's supposed to be one of those moments where she's like, oh, man, he's going to come kick his ass, going to come kick Ghidorah's ass. I don't know. Again, it didn't bother me because it's one of those moments where it's like, okay, this is for the audience. And so here comes Godzilla. She's got to run for it. The characters go to look for her. Kyle yeah. Chandler. I, I want to... Not, I don't want to ever see this movie again, but I want someone else to watch this movie, and I want them to keep a running total of the number of soldiers that were killed so that Kyle Chandler could be front and center in frame. Yeah, he didn't need to go down there. No. They could just have sent a... Well, par- they okay. sent a highly trained, specialized they sent G-team. team. team. To go and extract a civilian from a war situation. Kyle Chandler, wolf listener, does not need to be there. 
And then Emma shows up, and that actually is kind of funny, where she's like, get in! And Cal Tarrant looks like he's going to yell at her, and then he's like, hey! <laughs> and then, monsters are still fighting. She's like, get in! And I thought that was kind of fun, but I'm looking for the light, the little sparkles <laughs> of, of joy here. Um, Bless you. If, if you follow me on Letterboxd on the app, you can read my mini-review, which is where I believe you uh, have to... You have to sift through the muck to find the gold. Um, anyway, uh, so, of course, you know, the kaiju are all fighting. Mothra jumps in in this really cool, like, again, parting the clouds. Here comes our resplendent lady to help Godzilla. But then, of course, Ghidorah calls Rodan in, and Rodan and Mothra start fighting. Godzilla and Ghidorah are fighting, and everybody's fighting, and they're running around trying to find Millie Bobby Brown. And it's all very exciting, and it's all very intense, and um, they find the Orca, they find Millie Bobby Brown, who is actually a nice touch. She, uh, she apparently went to their old house in Boston, which is apparently the door is unlocked. <laughs> and nobody else lives there? I guess not. I mean, their pictures were still on the mantle. I know. Um, but anyway, uh, well, I, I, it was never stated that they left. It doesn't matter. But the point is that when they find her, she had hid inside of a bathtub. Yeah, which uh, is what you're supposed to do, what, in case of a tornado or a hurricane or something? It's just the most, it's like the sturdiest thing you can find to encase yourself in. Yeah. So that was a nice touch. And because of it, there was an explosion, it sucked all the oxygen out of the area, so she would, had passed out. Yeah. Um, so, again, little touches, little things I'm holding on to. Um, but Godzilla and Ghidorah are fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. There's a lot of fun stuff happening in the fight. Like, Godzilla is taking one of Ghidorah's heads at one point and grinding it into the side of a building, which I thought was really fun. Uh, Ghidorah bites a um, power station and does this giant shockwave attack that destroys all the ships in the area, nearly destroys the Argo, the Monarch flagship, and injures Godzilla. That was really cool. Um, there's a lot of just fun, again, a lot of fun kaijuness going on that you, unfortunately, weren't weren't charmed by because you were so frustrated with the film at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they find the Orca, they find Madison, they proceed to uh, solder uh, and uh, fix an electronic circuit board in the rain. In the rain! <laughs> in the rain! Hey, what's all this delicate electronics equipment? Let's expose it to the rain. The rain! But, you know what? Whatever. They're trying to fix it so that they can distract Ghidorah because... Oh, right. Uh, backing up a little bit. There is the sequence where uh, Rodan... Um, is it's just fighting Mothra, and Mothra is really holding her own. I actually kind of liked that they gave Mothra some physical attacks. She, she traditionally doesn't have that because she's not really a physical fighter. But it is it does make it a little more visceral. And the stinger is canon. They have given Mothra a stinger in the past. In mm. GMK, she had a stinger. Um, and Mothra manages to, to defeat Rodan, but not before sustaining pretty grievous injuries. Uh, Godzilla gets dropped from low-level orbit by Ghidorah. Somehow. And it's a giant monster, honey. He can fly as high as he wants. He's a space monster. So he did the same thing in Gamera and Guardian of the Universe. Anyway. <laughs> We've been going at this a long time, guys, but I swear to God we're wrapping up. Uh, the uh, Mothra then makes to sacrifice herself to protect Godzilla. Now, 
I both like this and am frustrated by it, as I am with most things in the movie, because it's created this... Okay, on the negative side of things, there's this there's this misconception that Mothra has traditionally, quote-unquote, sacrificed herself for Godzilla, or in some way, she's never done that. She's never sacrificed herself for Godzilla. Nope. Closest thing is when she kamikazed Gigan in Final Wars, but even that was just... She wasn't even... She was just destroying Gigan. She wasn't protecting Godzilla. She's never sacrificed her... She, sacri- she has sacrificed herself many times, but not many times. for Godzilla. It's just... It's a weird moment. But they've, re- they've reinterpreted their relationship in this film to make them these kind of symbiotic species somehow. And... Uh, but and you know and 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 in the positive side of things, it has created this entire wave of fan art with Godzilla and Mothra being OTP one true pairing, super shipping, and it's actually really cute, and I kind of love it. And that's fine, you know. I'll give you guys that. But it also is a little weird because so they keep saying that Godzilla is about to go thermonuclear and his his radiation's reaching reaching critical mass. But then Mothra also gives him her power after she gets exploded by Ghidorah. And it's like, again, it's just kind of confused. Like, it's confusing. It's like, wait, so what did her power let Godzilla control this running out of control radiation? Like, I really feel like that was a reshoot. That was something that was added. That they rewrote. And, yeah, yeah. it's like they kept cutting back to Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford, yeah. Whitford. Uh, and he's like, he's like, bad news, guys. We supercharged Godzilla with Serizawa's bomb. But if you watch the movie, hmm. when Mothra is destroyed, and you see, you hear her last cry, and you see the powder or the dust from her wings or whatever land on Godzilla, that's when you first see the lines for the burning Godzilla begin. Right. It's clearly just meant to be a power-up that she gave him and nothing whatsoever to do with the bomb and Sarazawa from earlier. Right. But I feel like that was a reshoot that was added later because that was confusing to American audiences or audiences that weren't familiar with how Godzilla work. Because, I mean, when he sets off his burning Godzilla um, explosion later... You pointed this out to me. You see her wings and you hear her cry. This is like the ultimate expression of the power that she granted him with her sacrifice. That's what it was always meant to be. But this whole thing of like, oh no, we too much nuke. Like, <laughs> It's very, again, there's a lot of aspects of this film that kind of feel slapped together. And it's, it's, it's frustrating because, again, I really want to give this movie a pass, but I can't in good conscience. I have to be honest with how I feel about it, too. But I'm giving it a lot of, I'm giving it a lot of, of leeway because the monster stuff is done so successfully, I feel. And that's really kind of the point of a movie like this, which is and unfortunate. That's fine. It's unfortunate, though, because I always feel, I always get really frustrated when people are like, well, no one goes to a Godzilla movie for the human story. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but a human story, a good human story can only enhance a Godzilla movie. Anyway, um, you're, you are right, though. Like, after all this happens, you know, Dr. Russell nobly sacrifices herself to distract with a spoon. Ghidorah, yeah. And it's, yeah, and again, it's like this character hasn't really done anything for us to be sympathetic or antithetic? No. 
Is that a word? It's almost a word. <laughs> she hasn't done anything to really garner our sympathy or our disdain, unless it's just straight disdain, mostly because, again, it's so confused in her motivations. Yeah, her actual, like, like I guess her her goals are clearly stated, release the Titans. But, like, I, I wish there had been more spent with her, like, because she doesn't spend any time dealing with, like, the actual costs of those goals. And I wish, if, to, if they wanted to make her sympathetic, I wish we had spent time with her sort of reflecting on that or dealing with that. But they cut all of that out. So just mm-hmm. because her her goals are clearly stated doesn't mean that the execution makes it clear. I, I can see that. I mean, ultimately, the proof is in the pudding. Audiences pretty much universally don't like the story of this movie. I mean, with... with no, I don't want to say universally, because there's a lot of people who do like this movie. I have a lot of friends who vehemently defend this movie, and they really, really like it. And if it works for them, great. I don't want to take... I should have said this up at the top. We don't want to take this away from anyone. We're just being honest about how we feel about it. Exactly. And I'm come down on the position of, even though I don't think it's necessarily a good movie... I still like it. I still have fun with it. It's got enough of these big moments to make me like it. I mean, again, the the burning Godzilla thing is weird and confused, but it's cool, and Godzilla gets to really wreck Ghidorah's shit. I know you thought the final stuff was a little too violent and a little too... Oh my god, where he's eating the head? Yeah, it's Jesus. a little... It's a little... Uh, well... They've been trying to top themselves with each of the MonsterVerse movies. You know, the original Obviously. Godzilla, they're, they blasted his breath down her th- down Mudo's throat. Which I still hate that scene so much. That, you don't like that? Oh, that's so that hurt. That makes my neck hurt just thinking you're, about it. You're very much not a visceral violence kind of person. No. The uh, and then in Kong Skull Island, Kong pulls the skull crawler's oh, entire stop, intestinal stop system out. Stop making me relive all of this. <laughs> hey. Skull Island still is the best of these movies thus it is. far. Um, and then, of course, you know, he's got to top it again. The other Titans then show up uh, from around the world. They got there pretty fast. Um, <laughs> and they all are like, oh, shit, he's the top lizard now. Well, he's always been the top lizard, but this is really establishing him as king of this new world of the monsters, which I think is fun, and it works well enough, and it's a fun scene, sort of this Lion King-esque, all the monsters are bowing to him kind of thing. I think it's cute in that old school Godzilla way. I think it's cheesy, but that's just me. Well, you're cheesy. Um, <laughs> cut to the final credit sequence with uh, the the other thing that I will unironically completely defend, which is the cover of Blue Oyster Cult's Go Go Godzilla, which I've been waiting to have in a Godzilla movie since I was a child. And it was friggin' fantastic. Um, and then, of course, it's all leading up to Godzilla vs. Kong, which is going to be... Um, it's going to be directed by... Where is it? Here it is. Um, it's going to be directed by Adam Wingard, who is best known for... Uh, he is best known for the, uh, the movie Your Next, which is apparently a, I haven't seen it, but it's supposed to be a really excellent home invasion movie, um, horror movie kind of situation, and The Guest, which I have seen, which is an excellent thriller film, and he was also the director of the Netflix Death Note film, which a lot of people will recoil from, but you gotta remember... 
a paycheck is a paycheck, and he even admitted himself he didn't have a whole lot of control over that. So I think we'll cut him some slack there. I think he's a good director, but we'll see. And of course, it's also being written by Terry Russio, who, along with Ted Elliott, um, were the writers of Aladdin, Shrek, and the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Or I know they they definitely wrote they both definitely wrote the first one. I think they kind of just shepherded the rest of them more or less. I don't know if they actually did the bulk of the writing, but hey, you know Shrek and Aladdin, it's pretty good. They also wrote the original draft for the TriStar Godzilla movie, where uh, that became Godzilla '98. But their original draft had Godzilla. It was more like this movie. Godzilla was this ancient creature that was fighting an alien monster. Yeah, and it was actually a really fun script. You should go look it up online if you can find it. But well, that's it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I know. it's this is We have been at this for almost two hours. What? <laughs> what? Hey, we got it over with. Oh, this better be it. This is it. I can't do this anymore. We're not going to do it anymore. I'm so tired of talking about this movie. I hate. <laughs> this is your lot in life now, woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, now you got lots to talk about at next year's G-Fest. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, you have a good time at G-Fest. Not a good time at G-Fest. It's just, oh, this movie. I know, I know. Well, ultimately, I still come down on this movie being worth a watch, especially if you want uh, you want to crack into the into the genre. And if you want, like, a digestible... Although, I have heard of some people who are not familiar with the genre who are like, oh my god, I never want to watch a Godzilla movie now. <laughs> but for the most part, it seems like the monster stuff is successful enough that it has made people into fans, or has reminded people how much they like Godzilla. Which Just just, just go watch GMK. Like, GMK is the best of the Godzilla don't, sequels. Don't, just don't do this to yourself. Just You can find GMK on Blu-ray. Self-care, you know? <laughs> if you want a quick uh, breakdown of the Godzilla movies that I think are absolutely 100% worth watching, uh, which a couple of which are going to be available on the new Criterion box set, and uh, the rest of which are currently available on DVD or Blu-ray. There's the original Godzilla, Mothra vs. Godzilla. If you can find the Japanese version of King Kong vs. Godzilla, watch that. It is going to be on the new Criterion set. Uh, Giger's Three-Headed Monster, Invasion of Astro Monster, which is the first instance of Aliens in the Godzilla series. Uh, then if you want to skip ahead a little bit, I recommend the one-two punch of Return of Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Biollante, because those films go really well together. And Biollante has a really complicated but really fun, interesting plot. Uh, then if you want to skip all the way to GMK, that's the, I think, the best of the Godzilla sequels. Uh, it is the best of the Godzilla sequels. It's a really well-made movie. It's got really great monster stuff in it. And a pretty good human plot, too. It's almost a dark comedy that then breaks out into a Godzilla movie. Um, and then I have to recommend, uh, if you want something that's just kind of bug nuts and so bad it's good, uh, watch Final Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Final Wars is, is the so bad it's good of the Godzilla franchise. And, uh, then watch Shin Godzilla, because Shin Godzilla is a really interesting political satire that breaks out into a Godzilla movie. So, you know, go watch those. Um, yeah, and, um... Thank you again, everybody, for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, honey, do you think you might want to be on a different kind of episode in the future where we don't talk about King of the Monsters? Can it end before midnight? Yes, we will try not to make that happen again. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, honey, for staying up and You're finally cracking this sucker out. Is there anything you'd like to say to the people? Just don't do it. <laughs>
Save yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Good night.